2: This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell, and you're listening to us on the Exxon Broadcast Network, Talkstar Radio Network, Mutual Broadcast Network, and on Simul TV. If you'd like to uh, find out about the programming we have available for you 24-7, 365 on the Exxon Broadcast Network, visit www.xzbn.net. And for the Zone TV channel on Simul TV, visit simultv.com, and in the search engine, type in Zone. And away you go. My guest this hour is uh, Dr. Don K. Preston. He's the president of the Preterist Research Institute, a nonprofit institute dedicated to the positive proclica- proclamation of the good news that we are not in the last days and the world is not about to end. Joining me now is my good friend, Dr. Don K. Preston from Oklahoma. Hey, Don, good. welcome
4: back. Oh, thank you much, Rod. It's, uh, it's always good to be with you. It's always an honor and a pleasure.
2: Don, uh, you know, so many people out there, you and I have talked many times about the end days and, and you know, people who, you know, just are out bent to um, just destroy what people believe in Christianity and, and, you know, Jesus and God. Is it my imagination or is it getting worse as society grows?
4: Uh, actually, Rod, I don't think it's getting worse, to be honest about it. I mean, we hear more about it because we obviously are living uh, in the age of social media. Right. Uh, all we have to do is click on the computer and we are exposed to people from literally around the world that, you know, uh, 50 mm-hmm. years ago that we would never have even heard about were it not for the proliferation of. You know, computerized of uh, our computerized world. Right. Uh, you know, it, it's it's literally. Had you told me, uh, and if if I could share a real quick anecdote. Sure, please. Right. Yeah. When I was in high school, mm-hmm. I'll never forget we had one of the what they call the assembly. It had to be there. Yeah. They had some young people there from AT and T. They were talking about all about computers. Now this was in 1967, 68. And these young people are saying, young people, if you want to get wealthy, get go to college, get into computers. This is going to be the greatest change in all of the world. You're not going to believe. Oh, and they had they had this humongous computer set up on the floor, the gym floor. And you can imagine how slow it was. You can just imagine uh, how archaic it was by today's standards. And to show you how brilliant I was, after their presentation, they said, if you want an opportunity to get rich, get into computers. And I turned to my buddy sitting next to me and went, yeah, right, sure. It's the craziest thing i ever heard of. (laughs) Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. So I'm, I'm not... Wealthy today because they did not invest in computer technology. But it, th- again, that just shows you how radically our world has changed. Uh, in 1968, I would have had no knowledge whatsoever of a fellow who sent me, a, a, for instance, a, um, an email.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Let's see, this is the seventh. Day before yesterday, this fellow named Richard Brown, a.k.a. Jesus Christ, is currently scheduled for trial on February 10th or or 17th, 2019. uh, And it's going to be held in Cummins, Georgia. It's going to be, according to Mr. Brown himself, the greatest trial in history. And on and on and on this email goes, and I'm going Are you absolutely out of your mind? Well, that's a rhetorical question. Obviously, he is out of his mind. (laughs) Uh, It's just like the fella in the Philippines that has been duping people for, you know, 15, 20 years now, telling them that he's Jesus. Just like the guru in India, Uh, several of them actually, in India, claiming that they are the true Messiah. We would have never known that were it not for the internet and social media. So again, I, I really honestly don't think sure. that we have that much of a proliferation of weirdos. We can go back in history. If you just study your history, you will find very, very quickly that beginning, beginning in the late first century, you had all sorts of wackos running around the land of Israel. You had all sorts of people in the Roman Empire who were claiming to be the great prophet of God and this and that and the other. Uh, and, and we know about them because of historians who, who deemed it interesting or na- enough or whatever to write it down. But you can be certain, you can be absolutely certain if they took the time to mention one or two or three that there were a hundred of them.
2: My goodness. So this is nothing new. This has no. been happening throughout history.
4: Uh, uh, even in the Christian religion, yeah. uh, it, it has been true that D- there was a um, there was an author by the name of Gummerlock mm-hmm. uh, who chronicled the false teachers, the false prophets that have appeared in the history of the Christian Church, beginning in the late. Uh, or I should say the very, very early 2nd century, uh, a guy named Montanus. Um, He claimed to be a prophet of God. He gathered people around him. Uh, He said that he was the true prophet, and he had some women who followed him. Uh, They were God's prophetesses, and he said that in the very, very, very near future that the, quote, New Jerusalem was going to descend from heaven It was going to be 1,400 miles square, and the the righteous would go to live in that new Jerusalem uh, or live on the replenished earth. So, I mean, it it doesn't take much study to know and to see, to realize that history is replete with real, real strange people.
2: You know, Don, it's it's a wonder that the real Messiah was recognized then.
4: You raise a great point. You really do raise a a great point, Rob. And as a matter of fact, I believe that the the proliferation of false messiahs in the first century was one of the the detractions from people recognizing Jesus for who he was. Hmm. Now, he stood out like a sore thumb in many ways, And we we could enumerate many. Number one, Mm -hmm. he performed genuine miracles that they could not do, that when they tried to do them, they failed. And And in many instances, they even humbled themselves before Christ and before his apostles who were able to do the genuine miracles. But number two, Jesus was not a political anarchist. You know, in the book of Acts, in the in the New Testament, what we call the New Testament, uh, we, are, we are told about two guys, Judas and Thutis, that had appeared before Jesus. And they had claimed to be the Messiah. They had claimed that the second exodus was about to take place and that they were going to lead the children of Israel back to the glory, back to glory. Uh, they're going to restore uh, the nation of Israel. They're going to whip the Romans. And you see, that's what characterized 99.9.9% of all would-be messiahs in the first century and distinguished Jesus from them. I mean, here is Jesus standing before Pilate. Pilate already has two guys hanging on a cross just outside the city gates. And according to Mark chapter 15 and verse 3, they were insurrectionists. In other words, they were false messiahs. They were people who wanted to whip the Romans, incite riots, incite strife and civil war to whip the Romans. Well, Pilate, as he was really prone to do, I mean, Pilate didn't put up with any kind of, that kind of stuff. Uh, Pilate killed literally thousands of people on the flimsiest of excuses in the belief, in the paranoia paranoid belief that they were trying to lead insurrections against Rome. Now mind you that's his obligation to protect Rome, to protect what was known as the Pax Romana but here comes Jesus and he's standing before Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? Well I am Jesus said and well okay Uh, if you're the king of the Jews then what about this and what about that? Jesus said look let me finish it very, very quickly. I'm sorry. Jesus said, I didn't come to fight Rome. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. Yeah. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight?
2: All right, Don, we're going to have to hold it here. I have to take this hard break. Exo Nation, Dr. Don K. Preston is my special guest. www.bibleprophecy.com. We'll be back on the other side of this break. Don't go away. And welcome back. This is the excellent. I am. Doc. I am Rob McConnell. My guest this hour is Doctor Don K. Preston. www.bibleprophecy.com. Don, from what I see on television, because I really beyond, you know, beyond what people may think, I'm not that old. I wasn't there at the time of, you know, when Pontius Pilate was questioning Jesus Christ. It it, it seems from what I've seen on on every one of the films documentaries about Christ is that I got the impression that Pontius Pilate really did not want to crucify Christ
4: No that's exactly correct uh Pilate it's a it's a marvelous story and I would encourage everyone to get their bibles out and to read all of the parallel accounts in what we call the the gospels mm-hmm. Matthew Mark Luke and John uh Pilate Pilate's own wife came to him as the trial is going on Now mind you this is something unusual. Women didn't normally interfere in judicial affairs.
2: That, yeah, that, I've always found that very interesting.
4: Yeah, And yet she came to him during the trial, and she said, y- you, <laughs> "You really need to not do anything with this guy. I had a dream. right. You, you really, really need to leave this guy alone." And almost immediately, here Pilate brings a bowl of water, washes his hands, and says, "I find no fault with this man. Uh, this man's guilt uh, is is on your shoulders. Uh, I don't want anything to do with this guy." And so, uh, it's really, as I said, it's really quite a fascinating guy. Yeah. When you, when you read the entire story of the trial of Jesus, uh, you know, here in America, though, those of us who have followed the impeachment trial of Uh, President Trump. Yes,
2: I I, I followed it very closely myself.
4: I I suspected that you did, but those of us who felt like that was a kangaroo court can Mm -hmm. see a tremendous amount of parallels uh, with the trial of Jesus. Uh, They were not going to let him go, no matter what. You know, when Pilate said, well, okay, at this time of the year, which is during the Feast of the Passover, uh, it's traditional for me to release a prisoner you. well they had a guy named Barabbas who by the way was an insurrectionist he was a rabble rouser he was a man who f- was fighting Rome or wanted to find, uh, fight Rome so he said do I turn loose Barabbas who is a known killer who is a known rabble rouser uh, you know it's, it's not a nice person here or do I turn loose Jesus uh, who says he's your king and with whom I find no fault Turn loose Barabbas. Let, he's a great guy. We want Barabbas. Well, that that can be viewed as an as. An
2: Don, are you there? Oops. Hello. Yeah. Sorry, Don. We lost you there for a few seconds. Oh, I'm
4: sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Right. Uh, what I was doing, I was saying mm-hmm. that that the Jews' desire and willingness to have Barabbas released to them was was almost prophetic, because what they were saying is we would prefer a man who is a political rabble rouser, a uh, a militaristic uh, rabble rouser, who's willing to go kill the Romans over this man who went about doing good, healing the sick, giving sight to the blind, healing lepers, even raising the dead. Now just think about that. How ironic is it? So they got Barabbas, and in 37 years, that kind of man, the kind of man of Barabbas, led them to revolt against Rome, and as a consequence of it, the Jews suffered the greatest destruction, the greatest defeat, the worst loss of life in their entire history up to that point.
2: So, would so would it's you, so ironic for, to say the least. So if we're using this analogy, would uh Congressman Schiff be um, who would Congressman Schiff be in this entire scenario? Oh, he
4: he would be the chief priest. Yeah. <laughs> no doubt no doubt about it. I mean to tell you. Uh Oh, don't even get me started on that. That's just such a sad debacle. Well, you know what I
2: can't understand, Don? And, and, you know, here you've got a president who's done what he said he was going to do. You've got a president who was marked as a marked man even before he was sworn in. Yes. The Democrats said we were, they, were, they were going to impeach him. Now, when it comes to this whole Ukraine thing, well, what the hell was Joe Biden's son doing getting paid for a position he knew nothing about in the millions of dollars? If that isn't kickback, or I, I don't know what it is. So I can understand why President Trump wanted an investigation.
4: Like, well, in, I, I'm, I, I've listened to the transcript myself, mm-hmm. uh, to that phone call, seen the transcript. Right. And in my opinion, and, and I will say this, Rob, or Rob excuse me. No problem. I've been a registered Democrat for over 40 years. I will never vote Democratic again
0: Hmm.
4: because of the high-handed, illegitimate, dishonest, corrupt actions of the Democratic Party during this entire fiasco. And, oh, by the way, right here in my little county of, uh, of Carter County, Oklahoma, just over the last two months, it, this was reported in the newspaper yesterday over one thousand people have changed their affiliation from Democrat to Republican my goodness now that's in Oklahoma for crying out loud mm-hmm. and if that if that is a trend that is going to be carried out across the nation, then my goodness gracious the Democratic Party is in massive massive Uh, trouble, and I hope that that's true. Uh, They're not concerned at all, and we're not talking about the trial of Jesus here, but but the Democratic Party has shown they're not concerned about foreign policy. They're not concerned about the economy. They're not concerned with health care. They're not concerned about anything except removing Donald Trump from the presidency. It is exactly like you said. Yeah. They they said before he was ever sworn in, mm-hmm. they were going to impeach him. Yes. Now, If that's not political bias, if that's not unfairness, I don't know what is. What was your that,
2: What was your thought when you saw Nancy Pelosi rip up President uh, Trump's speech behind him?
4: I uh, I nearly yelled at the screen, impeach her.
2: <laughs> I agree.
4: Uh, well, not only for that. I mean, that's that's only one of many, many
3: mm-hmm.
4: uh, insults. Uh, la- lack of respect for the presidency. And look, uh, Mr. Trump has done and said an awful lot of things with which, as a Christian, I don't agree with. I, I do not understand appreciate. That. Yeah. I don't. I don't. I don't appreciate his language very often and i I do not have not appreciated some of the things that he admitted to doing prior even to his candidacy so uh i'm i don't give him you know a blank check as it were sure but at the same time when the man said here's what i'm going to do as a president i'm going to give you tax breaks uh i'm going to change health care i'm going to restore the military i'm going to get people off of welfare I'm. Go- I mean, you could just make a list. Yeah. A really, really long list of things that he said he was going to do, and he's done every single thing he said he was going to do. And so, you don't have to like the guy personally. And again, to be real and blunt about it, I'm not crazy about him as a person, but as the president he has certainly fulfilled his word and if nothing else, although there's plenty else, he has restored the honor of of the American military around the world. Yes, he has the respect for the American military around the world. And one of the things that he said in his speech the other night was that he has sent a, a message loud and clear throughout the entire world. You know, it's a message that used to be well understood, but thanks to men like Barack Obama, it got lost. It got abused. Mm -hmm. But Mr. Trump said, we sent a very, very powerful message when we killed Mr. Soleimani. You kill an American, you are going to die.
2: You know, I was going to ask you if if that strike on, uh, the Iranian general could be interpreted, uh, that, uh, that we are in fact in the last days.
4: Well, you know, <clears throat> it's really funny. My, my best friend, William Bell, who is from Memphis, Tennessee, uh, William and I were talking about that immediately after it happened, because mm-hmm. as you well know, Rob, it, uh, it doesn't take much of anything to get the so-called prophecy experts all up in the air Yeah. Uh, this is it. Well, on Facebook, the, the very day after Soleimani was was killed, mm-hmm. and anybody that, that really doesn't believe that that needed to be done at some point, then you really have no respect for human life. This was a bloodthirsty butcher. And all of that aside, <clears throat> my friend and I were talking on the phone, and I said, what do you want to bet that the prophecy pundits uh, in dispensationalism are going to be all over this. And he said, oh, you know, they are. So again, the very, I guess it was the day after that, I'm on Facebook and there's this guy. He is a dispensationalist, a Zionist. And he was saying, President Trump doesn't know what he's done. Syria is Gog and Magog. He has unleashed the last days. This
2: is proof positive we are in the last days. All right, speaking so. about last days, you and I have to take our news break at the bottom of the, uh, of the hour. We're going to have a bit of a cliffhanger here, Exo Nation. Dr. Yeah. Don K. Preston is my special guest. And for more information about Don and the great work he does, visit www.bibleprophecy.com. I'm Rob McConnell. We'll be back after the news. Don't go away.
3: Hmm.
2: Explanation. uh Dr. Don K. Preston is our guest. www.bibleprophecy.com is his website. And uh, Don, you and I were talking about the, uh, the strike on the Iranian general and how some people uh, seem to spin a conspiracy or, or they just have nothing better to do with their time. And, you know, they start with the, that this is a, a uh, sign of the end times. How can people listening differentiate between hype and and reality when it comes to the internet, because there's more crap in the internet than there is anything else.
4: <laughs> That's an understatement for yeah. sure. Yes, absolutely. Well, uh, the Bible is a book that tells us, um, uh, you know, I, I have a uh, television program every Friday morning at nine thirty on what they call the now TV network. Mm-hmm. And I was pointing out, uh, in a program that will air in a couple of weeks. Um, I was pointing out the the Bible and Christianity is a very distinctive Christianity in regard and in comparison to the other religions of the world. Jesus said, "If I do not do the works which my Father has given me, do not believe me. Do not believe me for my words; believe me for my works." Yes. Now that's one of the most remarkable challenges. Uh, I'll never forget. Several years ago, I was having a formal public debate with a. Uh, A dispensational fellow, and he was abusing the Scripture coming, going upside down and and everything. And I said, you're violating the proper rules of exegesis and good hermeneutic. Now exegesis folks is drawing out of a text what is in the text. Eisegesis is reading into the text what is not in the text. And it's really that simple. And Jesus issues a challenge to us, even a challenge that resounds right down to the present day. We examine his life. Here's here's one of the primary tests. Jesus said the Son of Man, which was his favorite designation for himself, will go to Jerusalem, there be betrayed, crucified, buried, and raised the third day. Now, let's face it. Rob, if you and I were listening to that, even as his good friends, we would go say, Whoa, 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 whoa. Hang on. What in the world are you talking about?
2: Yeah, exactly.
4: Uh, I mean, we would think our good friend had lost his mind. And and it'd be perfectly legitimately natural for us to think that. So Jesus had to say that over and over, (laughs) over, (coughs) pardon me, again to his own disciples. But guess what? He went to Jerusalem, he was betrayed he was crucified, he was buried, and on the third day, his body was gone. And he appeared to his apostles, he appeared to over 500 people at one time to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that he really was alive. So Paul would express it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if Christ is not risen, in other words, if Jesus didn't keep his word, Mm -hmm. our faith is in vain. And so I say, to all of those people who are out there and who say, well, look at this and look at that, blah, blah, blah. No, let's look at the biblical record and let's not read it through the prism of modern-day Grecian worldview. Let's view it through the prism of the ancient Near East, or to put it another way, through the Hebraic worldview, through the prism of ancient Israelite literature. Now, the great tragedy here, Rob, is I certainly wasn't raised being familiar with ancient Hebraic literature. I thought you pick up the Bible, it's in English, you read it, you understand it, there you go. Bible says what it means means what it says. Right, exactly. And that sounds great, it, it sounds simple, mm-hmm. but in reality, it is simplistic. Ooh. Because The ancient Hebrews did not think and they did not write like we today in the Western world, including Canada, think and write.
2: Well, that makes sense, Don, because when you look at the times when the Bible was written, they weren't as savvy as we are. They did not know about the sciences. They did not know about physics. They did not know about astronomy. So what they wrote was what they knew
4: absolutely yeah furthermore when you uh, they were extremely may i use the term earthbound Definitely. what i mean yeah. what i mean by that they got their identity from the from the dirt they were primarily mm-hmm. agricultural and the way they expressed themselves the thing that they believed that was the most sure the most solid the most everlasting was the physical creation The ancient Jews didn't have a concept of the earth passing away in spite of what some scholars today claim. Uh, Now, some of the later intertestamental writers certainly expressed that, but the biblical writers, when they wanted to express life-changing events, they expressed it as if it was heaven and earth passing away. However, when you look at the language and you look, uh, and uh, I produce videos five days a week on YouTube. You can look it up, donkpreston.com, called Morning Musings. And I've been going through the language of the Old Testament, which is the language of Jesus in the New Testament, by the way, and showing that in the Old Testament, many, many, many times it just says that God came out of heaven. He destroyed heaven and earth. He came with flaming fire. He came with a shout. He came with a, hail, a hailstone. He came with this. He came with that. And yet, not one time did he ever literally, visibly, and bodily come out of heaven. He sure didn't destroy literal, physical heaven and earth over and over and over and over again. I think that pretty. I think that ought. To, that statement will stand the test. <laughs> it's, it's, so, yeah. You know, when we go to the Bible and we see that when they wanted to express life-changing events, I would urge the audience, get your Bible out and read Psalms 18. Now, here's the context real, real quickly. Saul was chasing David all over the countryside to kill him because the prophet Samuel had told Saul, guess what? David's going to become king and you're going to forfeit the kingdom. Well, Saul wasn't just overly thrilled with that, so he starts trying to kill David every opportunity that he's that he has. So Psalms 18 is David's recounting. It, it's not prose, it's hyper hyperbolic language, exaggerated language. Here is David, and he says, I cried to the Lord in my despair. He heard me from the heavens, and fire came out from his nostrils. The the mountains were melted under his breath, he came down, and the mountains melted. The foundations of the seas were exposed. Now, you can read in the book of 2 Samuel, the entire account of Saul chasing David. You will not find that any of that ever literally, physically happened. But that's the way they express themselves metaphorically metaphorically they express themselves in word pictures mental images yeah. not in hard fast literalism that's an important lesson for us to learn today so when we find people today say oh look Gog and Magog that's got to be Syria. Well, in the first place, historically, that's not even accurate. <laughs> Th- those terms, Gog and Magog, are some of the most ambiguous terms, uh, you know, that are that are to be found. People have identified Gog and Magog as Russia and China or whoever, and and, and what have you. So, uh, when this gentleman on Facebook the other day said, "Oh, Syria is Gog and Magog," I'm going, and where did you determine that as a fact? And We have to learn, Rob, to be students of the Bible that honors audience relevance. Well, what in the world is audience relevance? As I was sharing with a bunch of folks on Facebook just the other day, it is the obligation of the biblical reader and exegete, the person who's going to draw out from the Scriptures what is in the Scriptures and not read into it. It is our obligation to determine what it, what did it mean to the original audience first and foremost? We're, we're not supposed to, never we're supposed to read the Bible and say, well, that's speaking directly to me. Now, might it apply to us? Well, the eternal character of God, because God always hates sin. So when God says, thou shalt not lie, or steal, or murder, or covet. Guess what? Yeah, that's applicable at any point of life, or any point of time, because God never changes in regard to His character. But I had one guy on Facebook the other day tell me, and, and openly ridiculing the idea of audience relevance. And he says, if audience relevance is true, then I guess we don't have to love our neighbor anymore, or uh, do not lie one to another etc. That doesn't apply to us. And I said, well here's the problem. You are taking moral mandates that are that spring from the eternal, unchanging character of God. Right. And you're ignoring the fact
2: All right. Apparently we've had another drop uh, with our uh, guest this well, hour. Don, the... stand by, please, Don. We've got to go into our commercial break. We lost you there for a few seconds. Okay. But when we come back, we'll continue with our very special guest of this hour, the one and only Dr. Don K. Preston. His website, www.bibleprophecy.com. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell. We'll be back as we wrap up this hour from our broadcast center and studios in Niagara, Ontario, Canada. Go oh away. Back, Don. Kate Preston is our special guest this hour. www.bibleprophecy.com. Okay, Don. So we've talked about you know the the false prophets, the people who really do not understand the Bible because they take things literally. They don't look at it as a metaphoric way of telling stories and sharing stories as something that we've forgotten long to, long ago how to do. So how do we get back on track? as a society?
4: Well, the key to this, Rob, is we're going to have to put down our iPads. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're going to have to put down, you know, our iPhones mm-hmm. and we're going to have to get back into the Bible and spend time and invest time in the Bible. Let's face it. Most people today, you know, uh, I, I was, I've been very, very fortunate in my, uh, in my preaching ministry, I, I've only been at three congregations since I started in nineteen seventy five. I, I no longer even speak for a uh, preach for a local congregation. I'm I'm involved in the ministry of doing things just like I'm doing tonight. But you know, I very often was confronted by the fact that people wouldn't tolerate sermons over twenty or twenty five minutes. And when when our attention spans is no longer than 20 or 25 minutes I can tell you right now we're not going to be good solid students of the Bible
2: well there's a recent survey a study that came out and I was talking to Craig Webb last night about it where the attention span whether it is on YouTube whether it is is in a dream or whether if it's whether you're listening to a lesson is four minutes and 37
4: seconds okay so it shrank yeah because as of just a few years ago, the attention span was eight minutes.
2: Yeah. No, it's down to four minutes and 37 seconds now.
4: Well, you know, my wife says that I can't even say hello in 25 words or less. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, uh, for people like me yeah. who, who have a tendency uh, to talk mm-hmm. and, and because, you know, what happens with me, Rob, is – Uh, I I don't have a regular venue every Sunday to preach. So I sit here during the week. I normally get at my office around 4 o'clock of the morning. I study hard. I research hard. I write hard. Uh, I've now written something like 31 books, working on four more. But, you know, my attention span is long because I'm so engrossed in learning. One of my best friends is a PhD. He's done a tremendous amount of postdoctoral work. Uh, He has taught Hebrew uh, and Greek on the university level. He's 85 or 86 years old. He gets up at three o'clock every morning and reads for three straight hours. And he and I talk very often about the thrill of learning. I'm not convinced that near enough people are pursuing the thrill of learning I can see you know, that, it, yeah. if they can't see it on a screen yep. for four minutes now <laughs> you that's know, right. then that's too long for them to pay attention and it, it, it's frightening mm-hmm. I don't know what it's going to take to get people focused back I mean the sale of actual books by all accounts is on the decline um, and again, that has, that goes back to because people have got their iPads, they've got their iPhones. My wife very commonly asked me, what would you do with your, without your computer these days? What would you do without your iPhone? And I literally say, I don't have a clue. I don't know what I would do. Yeah. However, if you were to see my desk mm-hmm. that I'm sitting at right now, Rob, I, I can tell you that I can count no less than 20 books that are laying out on my main desk, on my computer desk. Let me see here. I've got one, two, three, four, five, six books on my computer desk. Now, these are all research type of books, right? They are, uh, they're linguistic uh, aids. They are critical commentaries. They are historical studies, all of that kind of stuff. And Yet, when you talk to most Christians today, and you even ask them, do you have an unabridged concordance? Now, an unabridged concordance contains every single word used in the Bible and in every single place it's used in the Bible. I was teaching a Bible class on how to study the Bible several years ago, and it was obvious the class didn't have a clue on how to study the Bible. And this was before I even had my first computer Rob. But I asked them how many of you have a strongs unabridged exhaustive concordance out of 100 people 50 people in the class three of them held up their hand and I'm going oh we got a problem in Houston exactly.
0: <laughs> okay we yeah. got a
4: bible a real bible study mm-hmm. problem here so I asked them I said how many of you know what a strongs exhaustive concordance of the bible is maybe five held up their hand and over a course of weeks, mm-hmm. I introduced them to how to study the Bible with these study aids by with Bible dictionaries and lexicons and, you know, exhaustive concordances and what ha- have you. But here's the exciting thing. Sitting here at my computer, I, I can log on to the Internet. I can go to BibleGateway.com. I can go to BibleHub.com. I can go to Greek, uh, let's see, what it was, greekbible.com or any number. I'm telling you, there are so many Bible study programs on the Internet that are absolutely free of charge. Some of them are a little bit complex and difficult to use. Many of them, like Bible Gateway, is extremely easy to use. You, ju- you type in what verse you want to look up, and it will look up every single English translation of that verse. Wow. I mean, it, it's absolutely amazing. If you want to look up a word, a term, or a phrase, mm-hmm. you click on a tab. You type in the word. You can even uh, type in, I want, I want to search from 1 Kings to 2 Kings. And it will limit the search to those books. So what I'm saying here, this is what's exciting. While people's attention span may be reducing itself, at the same time, people can avail themselves of more study aids than ever in any time in the history of mankind.
2: But On, my, a, but web, you on see, my website, I'm sorry. I, I, you see, what I, what I see, Don, is that people have to be inspired to go and read the yes. Bible. The Bible, in my opinion... Christianity, in my opinion, has not kept up with the times. Amen. And I think that there needs to be that that resurrection of religion to bring it up to the times, so that more people will be able to associate with it. It's hard Ye- for people in our in our society to to look at the Bible and, and Christianity and and any other religious philosophy as as new when it's all based on old history.
4: Well, and there has been in America, in Canada, Mm -hmm. uh, around the world an onslaught, uh, full frontal attack against Christianity, against Christ, against the Bible uh, from people who ostensibly claim to be Christians. One of the commentaries that that is uh, laying on my desk right now is is written by a man who is supposedly a Bible scholar. Right. And yet, time after time after time, as I read through that book,
3: mm-hmm.
4: he says, this is an obvious historical error. The, the biblical writer was clearly wrong. And I'm going, wow, okay, so why should I trust the biblical writer on anything? And so, as a result, uh, and we've seen it in American politics, used to in America, the Bible was honored in the halls of Congress and Senate. I'm not saying that they were perfect Christians, <laughs> mind you. Uh, plenty of hypocrisy. But there was, a, there was a high, high respect for Christianity, for Christians, for the Bible.
2: You know, speaking about that, Don, uh, I just read uh, tonight prior going on to air— at 10 o'clock, that the state of Kansas has passed a law that buildings can now put back on their building in God we trust.
4: Oh, my goodness. Well, there's a small step.
2: That's right. And I I think what we saw during the impeachment, as well as the prayer breakfast, is that God is coming back. God is there. He is making his, his presence known.
4: Well, I can tell you this, this is strictly an ad hominem, uh, you know, experiential type of of story. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's an anecdote, obviously.
2: Don, I've got about 30 seconds.
4: Okay, but my ministry has literally exploded. The interest in the message that I am preaching Mm -hmm. has literally exploded. I'll leave it at that, and, and I'll say once again, Rob, thank you so very, very much for having me back on the program. It's always an honor. You, you kind of let me ramble on and go on and on, and, you know, for a guy like me, that's okay.
2: <laughs> well, because you make sense, you've got an important message, and if we can open hearts to the message and the bigger picture, Don, then that's what it's all about. Amen to that. Take care of yourself, my friend. God bless you, your wife, and your family, and I look forward to the next time we meet back here in the X Zone.
4: Amen. Same to you.
2: Take care, Don. That's it, Exxon Nation. I'll be back on the other side of the news at six and a half minutes past the top of the hour as we continue with tonight's weekend edition of the Exxon. My guest this past hour has been Dr. Don K. Preston. This is the Exxon, and um, wow, from UFOs, ghosts, hauntings, things that go bump in the night, the Mandela effect, to Jesus. I think when I read the Bible, I'm not afraid to say I'm a Christian guy. Okay? It is a book that is filled with mysteries. It is a book that is filled with wonder, but it's a book that is filled with the paranormal. I'll be back on the other side of this break. Don't go away.
0: We all have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in.